Hello and welcome to a playoff edition of National League Town. Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets playoff life with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Today is Sunday, October 9th. Hey, Greg. Greetings from the razor's edge, Jeff. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it sounds like it applies to being tied 1-1. One down and 12 to go for the Mets, and those were the Mets we watched all season. And this series, yes, comes down to one game. I would say one down and one to go. Uh, Not wanting to get ahead of ourselves. All I want to do is get ahead of the San Diego Padres and stay ahead of the San Diego Padres. Something the New York Mets did Saturday night when they absolutely had to. The first genuine must-win game of this postseason. And they responded. They responded by scoring some runs at first leaving too many runners on, but getting enough runs on the board. Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom finally in the postseason at City Field, responding by not giving up more runs than the Mets had scored for him. And then the Mets taking a lead. Jake deGrom turning the game over to Edwin Diaz pretty early. And the Mets finally pouring it on like the Mets have done throughout this season. Maybe not often enough in recent weeks, but recent weeks don't matter. Last night mattered last night, tonight will matter tonight. And at the end, a 7-3 victory, tying the National League wildcard series and giving us life. DeGrom in the fifth inning was so great. I, I keep thinking about that. Now he gave up the tying run. And at that point, many people thought Buck was going to pull DeGrom and it would have been a reasonable action by Buck if he did so. You may have thought that Jake was running out of gas, but he was not. The Padres had first and third, one out. He blew away Machado and then Bell. And then, well, then he's done, right? They're going to give him the handshakes. No, he came out in the sixth inning and needed only nine pitches to get them one, two, three. That was big time pitching. Yeah, you know, the postseason, every game, every inning is a crucible and a cauldron and Jacob DeGrom came out of both of them clean. I can understand almost any move a manager makes when it comes to pitching. If you can think back to 2015, Jacob DeGrom was on the racer's edge early in game five against the Dodgers. The last time the Mets were in an absolute must win prior to the 2015 World Series and 2016 wildcard game. But Jake stiffened up and Terry Collins left him in and last night, Jake, who I don't think was struggling necessarily, but it wasn't let me just play catch with Tomas Nito the way so many Jacob DeGrom starts are. He did have to stiffen up, buckle down, whatever cliche you like. And yeah, the fifth fell in order once uh, those two guys went down. And the sixth was easy business to the point I where I was tempted, uh, sitting on my couch because I don't make these decisions, where I was tempted to leave him in for the seventh, knowing that that really wasn't going to happen, probably wasn't an optimal use of resources. So, you know, one night after not getting the ace start you dream about in game one, you got the ace start you dream about in game two, which speaks to the usefulness of having two aces uh, because you got to play at least two games and win at least one of those games to get to a third game, which is where we're headed 
thank goodness. You mentioned decisions by Buck. And by the way, wasn't that clip of Lindor's daughter pointing out Buck in the postgame adorable? Buck brought in Diaz for the seventh, and it, I might have trusted Adovino there, but he didn't like Adovino against lefties, and the suddenly Ott Grisham was up, so he wanted his best. So you had Diaz in the seventh, and then the Mets blew it open, and there was that 45 minutes that ESPN kept talking about and talking about, and he brought out Diaz for the eighth, and you would have thought that was a terrible decision. I don't necessarily think so. It didn't make me mad that he brought him out for two-thirds of an inning of the eighth. What did you think? First off, I had ESPN muted, so I don't know what the hell they were talking about. Uh, certainly on the radio, uh, Howie Rose and Wayne Randazzo, they were discussing the utility of Edwin Diaz for at least a couple more batters in the eighth once the Mets piled on runs in the seventh, which is all you could have asked for. And the consensus there, and I certainly joined with them, was you can't be too careful at this point. You've got Edwin Diaz. He's in the game. You might as well use him to quell any possible threat. If you had gone looking for the Mets on whichever channel they were supposed to be, I guess it was ESPN, you knew that the Mariners and Blue Jays were still playing because the Blue Jays had held an 8-1 lead. I went to do some other things and discovered that the game had been tied at nine. <laughs> so you never know uh, what is going to happen. So I was not ready to pull Edwin Diaz anytime soon. Edwin Diaz was able to all but go on vacation in September. The Mets just didn't have that many save situations. They were either winning games 10 to two or losing them five to one or so it felt every night. So the Edwin Diaz plan was sort of put in a drawer for a little while. He's well rested is my point. I didn't worry about a few extra pitches, the sitting on the bench while the Mets were running up the Padres pitch count. That's part of the game. They have ways of keeping their guys loose and limber and fresh and ready to go. Um, like I said, I don't know what the hell ESPN was talking about. And I say that judgmentally. I mean, honestly, I don't know what the hell they were talking about. The, the mute button is very effective in October. And I would advise all my fellow Mets fans uh, to figure out the syncing between radio and television. Uh, I haven't. I just have my old-fashioned radio and my old-fashioned television. The radio is a little bit ahead of the television, which makes all the sense in the world because Howie and Wayne are miles ahead of whoever they're going to put on to talk about the Mets. But, uh, you know, Edwin got us through two-thirds of the eighth inning, and we had a five-run lead. And I wouldn't say you could relax because it's the playoffs, but you could feel you're not going to believe this Mets fans. You could feel confident that things were going to work out. Howie and Wayne may be miles ahead of any other announcers you're going to hear calling these Mets games, but the MLB.com feed, which I have to use because I'm out of town, is about three pitches behind actual time, and I don't want to be that far behind. So I suffered with the inane banter from ESPN. Oh, and side note, speaking of MLB.com, uh, let's give a shout out to our beleaguered listeners in the UK. And we do have some because MLB 
Dot-com screwed them over, excuse the expression. I don't know if you heard about this, but all season long, MLB TV included the playoffs. That's what it said in the terms and conditions. You're getting the regular season, and outside of the United States and Canada, you're getting the playoffs. Great, said our listeners, who are Mets fans, of course, in the UK. And then the playoffs start, and then MLB says, not so fast, mate. And they made them buy a separate subscription to something called BT Sports. And that's awful. So we, we salute our listeners in the UK. It's been bloody hell, I imagine. Uh, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for sticking with the Mets from an ocean away. The hitting last night, Nemo grinding out three hits against Snell. That was awesome. And then Lindor with the first inning home run just when the Mets needed it. And also something happened that we've talked about on this show. Marte batting second, length in the lineup. So Jeff McNeil was up at the exact right time. Yeah, you had the Mets lineup like it ought to be last night. Once Buck Walter was confident that Starling Marte was going to be able to continue gripping his bat and doing all those baseball activities we'd heard so much about. And, you know, it, it warmed my heart to see Brandon Nimmo in particular succeeding on the postseason stage. Uh, watching all the homegrown guys, in particular the guys who've been here a while, who had waited either forever to get on the city field mound, in DeGrom's case, who never pitched at city field in the postseason, even though he pitched in the 2015 postseason, to watch Nimmo and Seth Lugo, who were here in 2016, but rookies who did not get into the one-and-done wild card game. And uh, guys like Nito and McNeil and Alonzo, every one of these guys contributed in his own way last night. Uh, Nimmo at the top of the order, and McNeil, when it really came push to shove, uh, in the seventh inning, as the Mets were grinding out at bats, plate appearances, whatever you want to call them, against the Padres. And it was a lovely thing to watch, even with the sound down. You could tell that the crowd was getting to the Padre reliever Morion, I believe it's pronounced. Forgive me if I'm getting that wrong, but uh, the pitch com was, was not a great innovation against 41 42,000 strong yelling uh, against uh, San Diego, figuring out how to throw a pitch to the catcher. Uh, Bases were loaded. Jeff McNeil comes through. He's a batting champion. That's what champions of batting do. (laughs) And, hey, I I don't mind having some people who weren't here in the distant past. So, yes, Francisco Lindor, big home run early. Eduardo Escobar, big RBI along the way. And, you know, these are the 2022 Mets, so you didn't have to be here in 2017 to make a difference. And that was a wonderful seventh inning because it was the kind of inning we had lived off of for so long during this season. And when everything is going well, that is New York Mets baseball, the way you might say, oh, they're, they're passing the ball. Uh, they're finding the open man. That's that's the your classic Celtics. Oh my God, that's that's the classic Raider defense. That kind of thing that sticks in your mind. Uh, this is what 2022 Mets baseball is. Just grinding. That that word uh, became essential to our conversations throughout the year, and it was back last last night. Fifty pitches thrown 
by San Diego Padres relievers in the bottom of the seventh. And that's how you wind up going from clinging to a 3-2 to two lead to taking a commanding 7-2 to two lead en route to holding on 7-3. to three. And something unusual happened last night when Terrence Gore pinch ran. Usually, blink and you miss Terrence Gore running from first to second because he's so fast. Well, if you blinked, you would have missed Terrence Gore's pinch running uh, appearance last night because Tomas Nito swung at the first pitch and hit into a double play. But that still was unusual in Mets history. Not Nito hitting to a double play, but Gore's pinch running. Yeah, Terrence Gore, pinch runner deluxe, uh, state-of-the-art tool in the Buck Walters tool belt. Not everybody has a Terrence Gore. And the Mets don't necessarily deploy pinch runners in the postseason. Here's a little research you won't hear anywhere but on National League Town. Uh, the Mets have only used 23 pinch runners in their postseason history. And Mr. Gore is the first pinch runner in Mets postseason history since the fateful night of October 19th, 2006, when Anderson Hernandez, a great defensive second baseman who lost his job to injury and eventually Jose Valentin at second base, uh, came in to pinch run for Paul LaDuca with Valentin on third and Indy Chavez on second and with uh, LaDuca getting that walk, the bases were loaded with two outs uh, for a fellow named Carlos Beltran against a fellow named Adam Wainwright. We will stop that story there. But uh, Met pinch running in the postseason has been few and far between. you got to be in a position to want to use a pinch runner. They played 91 games and only used pinch runners 23 times. I will tell you that one of the pinch runners the Mets have used was a fellow named Willie Mays in the 1973 postseason. The most famous of Met pinch runners, at least in terms of form and function, Rod Gasper, the 1969 World Series scoring the winning run for Tom Seaver in game four of that famous J.C. Martin's wrist getting in the way of a ball that was not going to first base as it turned out, and the most prolific pinch runner in New York Mets postseason history. Who else could it be but the utility Met of all time? Super Joe McEwing, eight times Bobby Valentine, who loved to manage. Uh, he used Joe McEwing over and over again in the 2000 postseason throughout. And uh, welcome to that little club, Terrence Score. Other names, I'll just throw them at you real quick. Wally Backman, Kevin Elster, Kurt Abbott, Roger Cedeno, Sean Dunstan, Teddy Martinez, our unofficial utility man of all time. We move over Joe McEwing, at least here at National League Town. Al Weiss, and here's one for you, Ron Darling. Ron Darling pinch ran in, I believe it was the 1988 postseason. Uh, Game four against the Dodgers. Uh, Mike Sosha may have batted in that game, but never mind that. So uh, Terrence Gore making his appearance as only he was going to. I mean, he's not going to be used as a pinch hitter unless things get really interesting. And uh, probably not, not for defense because nobody really knows how he plays defense. We only know him as a pinch runner. And it would have been great to see what he could have done with a chance to steal a base. But like you said, uh, Tomas Nito, uh, so thrilled being in the postseason just couldn't wait to swing and uh it became a double play as uh ball sometimes do even for a speedy guy at first so um this digression was brought to you by national league town now back to your regularly scheduled postseason 
So we turn ahead to tonight's game. So much tension. So much on the line. 7.07 p.m. They say it's on ESPN, but as Greg tweeted last night, it might have been on HGTV. It could be on ESPN The Ocho. Who knows? But it will be somewhere. We know where Howie and Wayne will be, and that will be on the Odyssey app and w, what is it, WCBS. WCBS, and... where I, I get my... Where I get my news like I get my pitches, right down the middle, according to <laughs> And then you have a stack of pancakes delivered by Mr. Matt. We're not going anywhere after this. It's not <laughs> what I want to hear. <laughs> exactly. Well, Chris Bassett, Chris Bassett on the mound for the Mets. He pitched one game against San Diego this year, July 23rd. Excuse me, he pitched two games against san diego this year july 23rd seven innings pitched two earned runs but on june 8th three and a third seven earned runs we'll forget about that and look to the more contemporaneous one as a good omen josh bell two for five with two home runs against bassett joe musgrove does not go deep into games and he throws a lot of pitches. So this is an opportunity for the Mets to do what they do best and grind out at bats to get into the San Diego bullpen early. Musgrove won't go more than five or six, but he is pitching very well. He was an all-star and he has only given up one earned run in his last four starts. Now, those four starts comprise 22 innings pitched, so that's not a lot of innings, but he is pitching very well. He pitched once against the Mets this year, July 24th. Not great for him. Five and a third, four earned runs. And Lindor, six for 17 with two bombs against Musgrove. So a lot on the line tonight, Greg. Joe Musgrove threw the first no-hitter in San Diego Padres history, the last franchise to have a no-hitter. So we know he went nine at least once, but that was a little while ago. No, probably not going to do that tonight. Chris Bassett has had a great way of learning from his missteps this year. That San Diego start you mentioned came during a brief stumble in his year that has been otherwise clutch. It's the best way I would put it. Uh, wasn't particularly clutch against Atlanta in the final game of that now forgotten series. Wish I could forget it. But again, he's had a way of coming off of losses better for it somehow. Much like the Mets have come off losses themselves and usually win games. I saw some stat last night that showed they, I think, led the majors most wins after losses, which I guess would explain why they didn't have that many losses or any losing streak over three. Right now, what we need is not to have a one-game losing streak. What we need is to have a one-game winning streak. What we need to do is start at 7.07 and then board a westbound 7.47. (laughs) Albert Hammond did to Southern California. But I don't even want to get get that far ahead. Uh, This isn't a one game at a time. This will be one pitch at a time, uh, maybe one inning at a time. Uh, You know, this is what you sign up for as a fan. We probably said some version of this several times since September began, but we're here. We're still playing. Uh, Only seven teams out of 30 besides the Mets and Padres can say that right now. Uh, Toronto can say it. Tampa Bay can say it. And slightly surprising, I suppose, St. Louis can't say it anymore after falling to Philadelphia. Uh, the only good thing about the uh, the Mets game uh, plodding along uh, as it did last night, as I was able to flip the video 
now and then and, and watch Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina end their careers, oh, that means that the Cardinals lost. Oh, well. Um, here we are, you know. And they lost. <laughs> and the best fans in baseball, quote unquote, uh, had to witness that in person. Yeah, the, the, which, of course, uh, be, being a little snarky about that puts us on the side of the Phillies fans in, in passing. So be it. Uh, the Phillies will play Atlanta next. We can't even think about that. Uh, the Guardians, who played an incredible 15-inning, one nothing game uh, to eliminate the Rays, uh, they will be playing the Yankees in New York. And we can't even think about that. And the Mariners, who've done some incredible things this season and this postseason, they will be taking on the Astros. And you know what? If the Mets weren't involved, I'd be interested in all those series. But right now, it's Mets and Padres, part of this rich pageant of postseason baseball for at least nine more innings, and we hope a lot more innings. Uh, we like talking about the Mets. Give us something to talk about, Metsies. Uh, keep it up. Keep, keep that... Uh, what was it, uh, my man, uh, Harry Casey said? Keep it coming, love. Don't stop <laughs> it now. <laughs> it's not expecting Casey of the Sunshine Band reference <laughs> to conclude today's episode, but we are. Uh, any, any uh, anything goes here, and we did suspect that these would go 10, 15 minutes, and then. We are going much longer than that, but we love talking about the Mets, and we hope to talk about them advancing tomorrow. NLT will be back with you tomorrow. Win or lose, we say win. LFGM. Until tomorrow. Oh, by the way, we thank you for listening. Until tomorrow, I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm doing a little dance, making a little love, and getting down tonight. I'm Greg Prince. Shake, shake, shake. And as always, let's go Mets. Copyright 2022 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify.